Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by the CEO of Canopy, Sean Clifford, to discuss the pornography epidemic that's impacting our children. We discuss how pornography changes our brains, including its impact on the neuromodulators dopamine and serotonin. Sean also discusses the Coolidge effect, why pornography is so addicting, how to talk to your kids about it, and what you can do to protect your family so they can use the internet to explore and learn worry-free. As a father of three boys, this is a subject that I've been wanting to examine for quite a while. And when I learned about Sean and the way he was approaching this issue, I knew that I had to have him on immediately. And what you're going to learn today is shocking in some ways, but it's also going to equip you with the knowledge and the tools that you need to protect yourself and your family. So now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today on The Blueprint. I'm excited to have you here because of the topic that we are discussing today, which as a parent of three young boys is something that is at top of mind, pornography. No matter what your personal background is, I think we all understand that exposing a child to sexually explicit material at a young age is not healthy. Can you help us walk through and understand like how does pornography impact our brain? Absolutely. To set the table for that, I first just want to note two things. The first is pornography has been around for a long time, right? This is not something that's new and our brains have not changed, but something has changed in the last 15 years in particular that have elevated the impact of being exposed to pornography. The biggest thing that I want to tell parents at the very outset is that today kids are exposed to a more potent form of pornography than has ever existed before. And that's why it's causing so many problems. And that's why it warrants a different response than we've had for the last 30 or even you know, 100 plus years. To your question, what does pornography do to the brain? The first thing to note is that it matters when your brain is exposed to it. When you have a developing brain, the earlier the exposure, the greater the impact that it's going to have. Our brains at around age 10 plus or minus a year or two start to have curiosity about our bodies and the way that they work. And it's at that moment where these images and videos are particularly a point of curiosity. They're kind of hardwired to seek this out. They're curious about it. And the earlier that they're exposed to this, the more role it can have in shaping their norms and expectations, the more that it can actually start to form deeper connections in the brain between what they're looking for and what they think might be appropriate for them to pursue. So first point is the age of exposure matters. Secondly, there've been a lot of studies really in the last 15 years, fMRI technology, has advanced to the point that we can now understand what pornography does to the brain uh, at a very granular level. And so we've learned a lot. We learned that pornography exposure over time can actually result in reduced gray matter volume, according to one study. We've learned that the pathways of the brain that are incurred when people watch pornography is very similar to other types of behavioral addictions in the way that they release chemicals and the way that they create cravings and the way that they desensitize us. So there's a lot that the advances in neuroscience have brought to the point that we now really understand that it's pretty impactful. It's shaping the way that our kids think. And then the third thing I always like to note is there's the actual physical brain, and then there's the psychology. What pornography does to our kids' understanding of the world, the role that intimacy plays. And on that, a couple of things to point out. First is that pornography can result in escalating sexual tastes. Turns out there's a psychological effect called the Coolidge effect, which basically refers to the fact that we are hardwired to crave sexual novelty. 
And when you have the ability to satiate that craving, over time, you'll find that when you may initially start out with what we might deem certain set of norms about what you find enticing, over time, it has to become more extreme and more extreme and more extreme. And you find that people that have been consuming pornography for years are consuming very different types. It's not static. It doesn't stay the same because they need that novelty in there. And this can lead to some pretty graphic and deviant places that the viewers themselves are kind of surprised how far they've come. Does this cause people to actually act out on those things? Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the questions. Not everyone that watches pornography is going to act out on it. That said, yeah, there's a lot of studies which suggest that when you're exposed to things that can shape your physical brain and your psychology in pretty powerful ways. People that watch pornography are more likely to engage in affairs later on. People that watch pornography are more likely to commit acts of sexual violence. People are more likely to have, given the potency and intensity of pornography today, desires to do things in the real world that they've seen online that, you know, oftentimes are illegal. So not everyone who does it's going to be a one-for-one causality, but yeah, the numbers in terms of the impact of watching this, especially given the potency of what's out there today, it's pretty clear that this is having a massive impact on how people actually conduct themselves in the real world. When you say potency, do you mean the video quality? Like it's not like some grainy picture. It's like 4K real even now, so I think there's like immersive experiences people can do, like 3D, um, and that, am I correct? You're correct, yeah. So for potency, I simply refer to like the ability of the material to drive an impact in your brain. If you go back to the 1960s, pornography for many people was epitomized by Playboy magazine. It was a magazine that had maybe 12 to 14 static images. And that was still powerful. You know, Kanye West talks about how his addiction started through Playboy. But that compared to what's out there today is nothing. What we have today is immediate accessibility. You have infinite variety. And instead of static images, you have HD 4K videos that visually are more compelling to, to what our brains are craving. So those factors together make it the most bingeable form of pornography, the most addictive form of pornography that's ever been created. And our brains are not designed to contend with that level of intensity, that kind of temptation which is why this is a particularly acute problem today. And it wasn't as much, you know, 40 years ago, even 20 years ago. I think it's interesting you say our brains weren't wired for this level of temptation. Like it's very hard to resist once they see it. Yes. I mean, if, if you look at the way that dopamine is released into the brain, which spurs craving for something that provides an unexpected reward, pornography is one of the most potent sources of a big dopamine release. And so over time, especially given the accessibility and the infinite variety out there, what you find is that people go after it, they need that same high, the old stuff's not providing it. And so they go to the next level and the next level. And we don't have the uh, neurological guardrails in place to kind of have an off ramp there. There are some addictions which are do not escalate, but pornography, like most dopamine driven things, is one that does, regrettably. I was uh, listening to a podcast with Andrew Huberman, and it was on one of these. Dr. Huberman has a neuroscience lab at Stanford, and he's been talking about dopamine, I think kind of putting it in front and center for a little bit while and how dopamine is the neuromodulator of reward. But he was on a, it was more of a strength conditioning, bodybuilding, fitness podcast. And I don't know how I found this. YouTube threw this at me. And my YouTube channel is like really weird blends of science. And then somehow Joe Rogan has made his way in. But anyways, but he was talking about these guys, these bodybuilders, like, hey, what's your thought on this? He's like, it is the absolute worst thing. This is like 
a religious from a scientific lens is like, it is one of the worst things that you can engage in consistently. It will kill your motivation because there's an addiction related to it. Because mm-hmm. when you get access to it, what most people don't realize is you, people talk the dopamine hit, it's there's this drop off in dopamine after you experience whatever it is, it causes a pain, like a hunger, almost like pain a little bit. And it drives you to want to crave and seek more. And because it's so easy to get access to, it's awful. Who's the who's the the singer, the teenage singer, Billie Eilish? Billie Eilish. I mean, I heard about what she was saying. What you probably know a little bit more about this. Do you know what her issue was? Yeah. So in an interview with Howard Stern, Billie Eilish relayed that she'd been exposed to pornography at age eleven and has been mm. addicted to it ever since. And I think the the most forceful quote she had was that it destroyed her brain both in terms of feeling like it was an addiction and the only thing that would provide her some sense of peace. And also that it really just warped her understanding of what relationships should be like. And went on to call it a, a disgrace and a travesty that our culture allows this to persist. And we all kind of know it's bad, but we just let it continue for a variety of reasons. So, that so this was, isn't a, a, just a, a male issue. This is also anybody, male or female. Yes. This is something like you got a brain. These are things that are hardwired in there and can have an impact. And turning to the dopamine thing that you mentioned, two things that I kind of find fascinating. One is, and this was really documented in a book called The Hacking of the American Mind by a guy named Dr. Robert Lustig, who shared that they've recently learned that dopamine, when it floods the brain, can actually block the serotonin receptors. So just to kind of transition from neuroscience, and I should clarify, I'm not a neuroscientist. I married a neuroscientist, but I am not a practicing one. Uh, But as my wife kind of helped me understand, Serotonin is the chemical that's released. I'm going to oversimplify this. When you've experienced the moment of like earned success. So think you're, you've got a good relationship with your partner or your kids, or you've just completed a big project, or you've just hiked a mountain. And you could be cold and kind of miserable in the moment, but you've got that sense of fulfillment or contentedness that's come from having plugged away at something. And that's like the happiness that I think at some level we strive towards, the more dopamine is in the brain, the more it actually blocks serotonin from bonding. The thing that we're most craving and chasing and turning to dopamine hits to fill actually makes the hole that much deeper, which is kind of a, a scary, devastating realization and has you know pretty significant implications for a generation that's you know been grown up with an endless source of dopamine hits. So let me ask you this. As adults, you have a decision to make about your consumption. And if, if it's something that you have an addiction to, we can talk about that later, but something that maybe you, you, you're like, okay, this is a problem for me. But let's talk about our children. When and how should we talk to our kids about this? And actually before that, how big of a problem is this? Like how many people in America are consuming this content or how young are kids getting exposed to this? Do you have any statistics around that maybe? I do. I'll start with an anecdote. There was a uh, researcher that wanted to understand the impact of pornography on college students. And the as he was recruiting students, could not find a control group that had not been exposed in the last six months. So that's an anecdote, but I think it cuts to the prevalence of it. A stat that comes from a, at least five years ago was that 93% of American teenage boys had been exposed to hardcore pornography. It's getting earlier, it's happening more often, and what they're exposed to is different. I'll throw some stats at you. The average age of exposure, it's tough to really pin down, but you know, New York Times had it at 13. I've seen somewhere between 9 and 11. And this is oftentimes tied to the proliferation of devices that our kids have immediate access to. For first exposure, in 62% of the instances, it is accidental or unintentional, meaning these kids, through no fault of their own, are being exposed to some of the most graphic, traumatic content out there. 
they're not even looking for it. Oftentimes this comes from, you know, someone at school who's showing it to them or increasingly what, what you find is that kids will be on digital space online and that's acceptable. You know, they're in Roblox or something like that. And a link will pop up in the chat and it takes them to some problematic places. So that's regrettably becoming increasingly common. And just the last stat to kind of hit home at this is if you go to Pornhub, which is one of the largest, I think it is the largest pornography website in the world. They actually release data on when they have the peaks of traffic on their site. And there's two peaks during the day. One peak, unsurprisingly, is somewhere around 11 o'clock at night. But the second peak is between 3.30 and 4.30 p.m. When uh, kids get home from school. That's exactly right. And so it's out there. Our kids are exposed to it. It's become a norm. Just the last anecdote to kind of bring it full circle is when this Billie Eilish story came out, we shared that story with parents and also with teenagers. And the parents were horrified uh, and they were shocked, you know, age 11 and addicted. And they were kind of trying to grapple with it. And not a single teenager was surprised because I think they know what we don't know, which what a lot of parents are still trying to better understand. It's not playable anymore. We've moved beyond that world into a different dimension in which you're exposed earlier to more addictive content and it's having a bigger impact. And the kids know that. People in their early 20s know that in a way that those in their 30s and beyond just have a different memory of what this was for them and how they should think about it. If you're someone that's pushing to be your best at work, at home, or in your personal life, then I invite you to sign up for my weekly newsletter, Adaptation. In this newsletter, I curate actionable information and resources for high performers just like you. You can sign up now by clicking the link in the show notes or going to www.ericcorum.com. Now, back to the show. So how can we talk to our kids about this or what age do you think it's appropriate to have a discussion? Because there's a, a Bible verse that I think about, and it was like Paul's talking about coveting. He said, if I didn't know, if nobody told me what it means to covet, probably wouldn't have done it. It's almost like if you make somebody aware of that there's a cookie in the cookie jar, mm -hmm. all of a sudden they want to get that cookie. And so this is, as a parent, it's a battle that I have in my head of how do I talk about this without creating the curiosity? Does that make sense? Completely. And it is such a hard question to answer. I mean, the, the truth is you should have the conversation earlier and more often than you're comfortable with. And I hate to put that out there because I'm, I'm so acutely sensitive to what you just raised. I've got four kids. My oldest is 10 all the way down onto three. But when you look at the statistics around when kids are exposed, again, if, if half of American kids are exposed between the ages of nine and 11, do you want them to learn about sex and pornography from some anonymous stranger or from a porn website? Or do you first want that conversation to come from you? And I hate that it's happening so early. However awkward that conversation may be, I assure you, it's less awkward than your kid finding out about it from someone else. So that said, given that these ages, when this stuff is happening, there's some great resources out there. There's a book, there's an organization called Defend Young Minds. There's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And this, they've got a version for teens and a version you know, for kids who are six plus. In a way that's age appropriate, says there's some crazy stuff on the internet. And people do some bizarre things. And like, when you see it, here's how you should respond. It doesn't show them it, obviously. It doesn't get into the details about why they do it. But my kids know if they see an image that we don't think is right, like they come tell me. And so I think that there's a ladder that you can go on. You've got to start earlier than you'd like. And there are resources that help you do it. And then as you go forward, just look at how the brain evolves. Again, it's around age 10 where they'll start to have questions. So at the very outset, it's accidental exposure. Then it's curiosity. They don't even know what they're searching for. And then it turns into, they kind of know what it is and they're 
brain's kicking in and the hormones are going. And you need to put that in a place and give them a framework to understand it so that as they encounter in the world, which regrettably they will, they know how to think about this and why perhaps it's not the right thing for, for them to pursue. Well, that's a really great answer. And I appreciate you directing us towards this information organizations to Finn Young Minds. I will put that in the show notes. Let's talk a minute about Canopy, your company. I'd like to know, how did you get into this space? Because as I've dug into what you were doing, not only do I really appreciate this from a moral standpoint and really a societal standpoint, but the technology that you guys are using to help families is world-class. Could you, could you talk like how you got into this for a second? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I'm a father of four. I've got kids and I want my kids to be kids and I want them to grow up and someday fall in love and get married and be happy in that marriage. Right? So all the things that I think most parents want for their kids are a lot harder if we don't figure out how to tackle this. Let's go to the first thing. The second is thanks to a friend who became the lead investor around, who incidentally is a fellow Texas A&M Aggie. Back in 2007, uh, this guy, Evan Loomis, phenomenal guy, told me that he thought pornography was one of the greatest issues. It was a scourge that was going to cause untold amount of suffering in individual lives and aggregated up at a cultural level. And that it was only going to become more and more of an issue as our devices and the accessibility and you referenced earlier the immersive experience. Pornography companies are investing significant resources in AR and VR and beyond. So he's like, we've got to figure this out. So he was the first one to kind of flag this as something that was worthy of treating seriously. The third point was I was introduced to a fascinating figure in Israel who said technology is just going to transform the way that our kids grow up. And we've got to figure out how to get it right. Because it's not going away. Can't put the cat back in the bag. And we shouldn't. Technology is amazing, but we have to figure out how to live with it well. And so he was the first to kind of make the early decision to invest in deep technology that could really help us out. So those three things came together and decided to jump in feet first. So what does Canopy do? Like, well, how does it help parents? Canopy is software application. It's something that you would download to your child's smartphone, tablet, or laptop computer. And then it works in the background. It's really powered by two core advances that have come out of Israel, all with the objective of giving your child a internet experience free from pornography. The two big advances are number one, they trained using artificial intelligence, machine learning, an algorithm to identify pornography with more than 99.9% .9 accuracy, which was difficult to do. The second advance, perhaps even more challenging, was to figure out how to do that on the fly. Up until Canopy, all of the filters out there that existed basically were giant whitelist, blacklist, right? They could have a catalog of websites that contain pornography and like keep those uh, off limits, which might've worked in the early days of the internet, but just fundamentally does not work in an era in which porn's everywhere. There's no longer a red light district of the internet. It's like, it's all got it. Well, you know, including some of the platforms like Snapchat, or Twitter, Reddit, like places where kids spend a lot of time you can now access it. The net effect of these two advances coming together are that with Canopy on a software device, we scan all internet traffic in real time as your kids explore. So we'll stop known porn sites, we'll stop brand new porn sites, even if they were only launched five seconds ago. And we can also filter pornography from otherwise acceptable sites like Twitter or Reddit, where regrettably it proliferates. So we wanted a tool that was dynamic, that wasn't going to cause headaches, wasn't going to be a big pain that resulted in overblocking. The metaphor we had in mind was, you know, put away the butcher's cleaver and come out with a scalpel, right? Mm -hmm. Just do the precision extraction and still let your kids explore and roam freely, but with the confidence and the peace of mind 
as a parent that they're not going to get into some bad and regrettably formative content. What about like your data privacy? So what if you check your bank account? Great question. I feel like we have really good data privacy. We never look at individuals' data unless they ask us to jump in and help them troubleshoot an issue. We never sell data. We never rent data. And the second that we can, we delete all data. So we're not interested in data. Our entire business model is about helping parents out. We've also designated certain sites like banks, for example, where there's not going to be pornography within a bank. So like we're not even opening that data stream. So we've got the ability where there's confidential information to opt out. And we also give people the option if there are things where even with our safeguards in place, they want to take a, a site and just not have our software filter it. They're more than able to do that. That's awesome. I actually have it on my phone and I've, I've used a pornography blocking app for a very long time. And for parents or people that are listening out there, like this isn't just an issue for our children. Like I don't even want to have the option to view it personally because of all the things that we've talked about today. And so I've had something on my device and when I put Canopy on, I know this is sound selfish, but like my user experience on my phone didn't go to crud because when you put some of these VPNs on the devices, everything can get slowed down. But I tested it myself, put in some really nasty terms in Google and everything came up clean and tried to break it myself. And so we put this on all of our devices in our home because this is something that my wife and I are very, very concerned about. And we're concerned about our friends, concerned about their children, concerned about our community. And when I heard about what you're doing and the technology, the deep tech that you guys are using, it was very, I wanted to get this message out there. And so if you're a parent or just anybody that's looking to have something on your phone that's affordable, you can have across multiple devices. If you go in the show notes, we'll put it in. It's canopy.us forward slash blueprint. And if you use the code blueprint, I think we give 15% off for life and they get to use it for a month free. Um, so you can try it out. It's really easy. You can download it on your device, send a link to your wife. She can put it on all the kids' iPads or whatever that you have. And then you can be, you can like rest assured. The next thing is, is it's up to you to monitor how long they're on there but the content is clean. But um, if people are looking for more information and resources, where would you point them? Just to your website? Is there stuff on there that they can read about this issue as well? Yes. So they can head to canopy.us, our website. And look, our hope with Canopy is to really provide two things. First is tools for parents. I think we all recognize now that whether we like it or not, our kids are going to grow up surrounded by devices. And you know, schools are pushing this now. It's, it's difficult to imagine a middle schooler doing homework without having access to the internet. So this is out there. And we want to make sure that parents have tools and families have tools to really decide what they're consuming online. Right now, if you hand your kid a phone, even if they're not looking for it, it finds them. That's problematic. That's not acceptable from our perspective. The second thing is, I'm sure you can relate to this. We have to invent new parenting playbooks, right? How I was raised, I look at what my parents did. I didn't have a smartphone when I was in high school or in middle school. And so- Major, I, if you needed yeah, it. <laughs> I, yeah. I had a very overprotective mother, so I'm sure I had one of those. But we can't look to what we had growing up, in many cases, as the guide for what we need to do. And so on that note, Canopy aspires to serve as a Sherpa, to really try and be a partner with families that can provide guidance, not only on the steps that they can take, but just information. So for example, like, what's Discord? Discord's one of the fastest growing social media platforms for kids. It actually has some really interesting functionality and features uh, that are out there that are exciting and cool. But you should know what else you can find on there. There's can be radicalizing content. There's a lot of pornographic content. Discord doesn't have parental controls that really provide safeguards. So there's a lot of stuff out there that we just want to be a Sherpa for parents and walk alongside them with humility, right? Because we don't have all the answers. Canopy is not a silver bullet. 
nothing will replace the hard work of good parenting. But we do think parents need tools and sometimes guidance for how to navigate this. And we're just getting started. We think we've got the world's most effective porn filter out there, but we've got a lot of other things coming from just a truly incredible tech team based in Israel that we think are going to help tackle some of the other problems that are associated with devices now that hopefully can get us to the point where tech is serving our interests, right? That is really fulfilling our intentions and not purely harvesting our attention. That's the dream. That's the goal. A lot more to come. I'm really excited to learn about that, especially the last thing, last thing you just said about harvesting attention. You and I should have another conversation on that. But Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. If you're listening, go look at the show notes. I highly recommend you give this a try. It's on my phone, our kids' phones now. Well, the kids don't have phones, but our devices in our house to protect us and them. And so thank you so much for talking about this important issue today. I really appreciate it. Eric, thanks again for having me on. If you found today's episode insightful and you want to put up safeguards in your home, then check out Canopy and use the promo code in the show notes to get your first month free and 15% off for life. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode.